This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Air Ambience helicopter pilot Sal Fergoso is going to show us and tell us what it's like to be Hey, Air Ambulance Helicopter Pilot, welcome to Episode 96 and of Aviation Careers Podcast, and we're really happy to have Sal here with us today. One of the things that always amazes me is watching uh, these helicopter pilots, you know, land on the top of buildings and, and, <laughs> and hospitals and, and land in these, these landing zones, and he's going to talk probably about LZs, what they call landing zones. Just absolutely phenomenal what you folks do as first responders. So, so welcome, Sal, to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much. It's really, really cool to be here. I'm really glad to uh, to be here and uh, talking about helicopters. Yeah, and you know, the other cool thing is Sal wants to help people understand uh, what it's like to, and dispel some myths about uh, helicopter pilots, and especially air ambulance helicopter pilots. We all hear that uh, I have to be an, a, a military pilot to become an air ambulance helicopter pilot, no. and he's, <laughs> he's going to disprove that in, in a little bit here. But first, before we get started, you know, Sal is somebody who's really passionate about aviation. And I always love to ask people, you know, how in the world did you get involved in flying helicopters? Uh, well, for me, uh, you know, I, I guess there were always those early uh, childhood kind of uh, fantasies about flying. I love jets and stuff, but it, it never really materialized past there. I, had a pretty diverse actual actual uh, upbringing, moved around a little. Um, I got to tell you and be honest with you, I, I really, uh, somewhere about 24 years old, uh, at the time I was doing stunt acrobatic uh, shows all over the world and living in New York City and uh, just kind of realizing that, you know, you, you can't necessarily do backflips forever, so <laughs> what would I like to do? And, uh, you know, I looked up and saw a tour helicopter and... It just made perfect sense. It was a, it was a wonderful job. I, I couldn't see doing anything else every day. You know, it was exciting. All the pieces fit together. So really, it was just that looks like a lot of fun. That oh. looks like something I'd like to do, and, and that was it. So let's back up here a minute. You you used to do backflips, and you said you're an acrobat. Uh, that, yeah, that's a that's a huge job change. Not only that, uh, that must have been very very difficult. Did did you perform in New York City, or where did you perform? Uh, we did all over the world. It, it started with a martial art when I was 14 called uh, capoeira. It's a Brazilian martial art. It has a lot of flips, and it's done to music. And I just kind of got scouted by a stunt team uh, when I was 17. I wasn't even out of high school. And the guy says, you know, how, how would you like to do shows um, and make some money at it? So while everybody else was bussing tables, I ended up doing shows in Miami, MTV, uh, New York City. Then we ended up going internationally on cruise ships and uh, northern Europe for a while, just all over the place. It was great. Great way to grow up, you know, spend those years. Wow. I mean, that, yeah. that's incredible. You've actually traveled so much all over the place. Most people worry about travel, but you've been there. You've, and, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And you've done the opposite. This is like the total opposite of what people do in their aviation career. They they are at home, and then they go travel. You traveled. Now you're back basically home base and able to drive to work. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that, that was one of the, the drawing points, too. During the, you know, the choice process, because it really was kind of, uh, no pun intended, but pulling it out of the air, you know, when, when asking myself, well, airplanes or helicopters, one of them was, I could go home at the end of the day with a helicopter. Uh, so that that was a big draw. That was a big draw. I could live where I wanted and, and still hold down the the job that I that I really wanted. Well, that that's a key point as to why you would want to become, uh, you know, a helicopter pilot is primarily you're going to be home just about every night. Uh, I'm assuming that most helicopter jobs are like that are there anywhere that you would not stay uh, at home say you have to go somewhere uh they do i think they kind of run parallel and and uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit ignorant to the um to the higher uh professional side of fixed wing but from what i understand they kind of go on on hitches two or several days in a row i i have a friend right now that is doing air ambulance uh actually in kuwait uh, so he could be gone for five weeks and then home for five weeks. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the typical EMS hitch is a, a seven-day-on, seven-day-off rotation. So I, I come home every night. Wow, that's that's awesome. Now, 
you said you were trying to decide between fixed wing and helicopters, and you saw this helicopter. Now, how did you how did you check it out? I mean, did you go fly one? I did. I I, I did not. I I actually wow. I. I yeah, when considering it, um, some of the things I considered was just, um, unfortunately, a, a stereotype, but kind of uh, holds true about fixed wing. Um, you'd have to correct me on this, but I understand that the, the, the community for fixed wing commercial pilots and your larger carriers out there are you, you, the seniority's primary, it's number one, it's, there's so much competition with these guys. And not to say that, that the industry was flooded, but I was almost like, you know, with helicopters, it felt, for me at least, like a, a more a more unique, uh, a neat, like a niche or a smaller pool almost. So that was part of the practical part of uh, decision-making when it came to that. Yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing right now that uh, there's a, a bit of a shortage of qualified pilots, but that turns, you know, that ha- goes up and down. I'm assuming yeah. it's true with, with uh, helicopters. Like, for instance, when uh, oil rigs shut down, like right now, we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown. The folks that fly sure. to oil rigs, uh, they're they're kind of scrambling a little bit more for mm-hmm. jobs, but there are mm-hmm. jobs out there. You know, don't get right. me wrong. And right. it, it is a different world, that's for sure. And it is all seniority-based. And, um, so, and, and I'm not so sure how the helicopters go like in the job you have is it is it not seniority based uh it's not um you know and that was one of the things that you know the picture for me now is a lot clearer than it was but in those initial days of making those decisions is is uh what i understood um i was fortunate enough to have a friend uh that did fly helicopters like you know you meet a lot of people in show business and, and one of them i knew did do this and got to speak to them and Really, it was kind of a halt, like a benchmark of uh, our experience. And sort of once you once you hit that benchmark, the market kind of opens up to you. Um, and, and not so much to do with, uh, you know, the spot's been full for, for 15 years by this guy. So, you know, when he goes, then it'll work out. So experience seniority, I, I suppose, but not necessarily position seniority, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and it's kind of like... I guess you could say uh, like the corporate world, similar, uh, sure. and in the you know the real job world, and also the corporate aviation world, where you come in and and you can become in right as a captain if you have the experience. Whereas you Absolutely. you would never ever see that at the airlines. Right. You start at the bottom every every single time. So that's a that's a pretty good reason to to pick that job. And also the, the you know the the pay for helicopter pilots is really good once you get experience. I mean it's it's a very it's a lucrative job. You can make a great living, and you can have a lot of fun, and you get to see the world from from really Really, really cool perspective but you know g- going back to this though now you you just jumped into it you just went right from gee that's cool i'm gonna do, take some lessons uh so oh, yeah. how, how did you get to the point of becoming an air ambulance helicopter pilot and why didn't you become a i guess you were looking at tour helicopters at first uh yeah it's actually it's an interesting story you know as far as how that goes and i don't know how similar it is but i know i was stunned um when i spoke to my friend um, who it's, uh, she was actually further ahead, uh, than I, than I was at that point, obviously she was already into instructing and so on. And we talked and she said, the one major thing you want to do is try to have your, all the finances together first, uh, before. So that way you don't have to stop at a private license and then you have, you get taken away and so on and so forth. So she really told me to, to emphasize on trying to get that together. So I did that. I, I called a school locally to me. And I told this gentleman, and, and this is the difference, and, and I'm sure it still goes on in the, in the world of instruction for guys looking to go. I told the gentleman, um, and I don't remember the name of the school or anything, I have everything I need to get started, and I want to go from zero to a CFII or an instrument instructor in helicopters, and I want to do it all full-time right now. The man on the phone told me, you don't want to do that. That's a mistake. The industry is complicated. I have to have a part-time job. This was obviously not the place for me. So I did a little uh, you know, scouring on the internet, and I found sort of a university for helicopters uh, based in Florida. And it looked professional. They sounded professional. I got there, and it was professional. So after those phases, really, um, it went you know, into the instruction, after the flight school phase, into instruction, which is more to build those hours. Then comes the first turbine job, which typically is only tours. So up to that point, up to the tour point, you're kind of 
following a flow, a career path in order to get to that gate to where the industry really opens up for you. Um, so tours, I don't want to say it was a necessary evil or anything. I, I loved uh, flying tours. Getting to be with people who are excited in the helicopter um, is a, a, a world apart <laughs> from, oh, <sure. laughs> from EMS land where folks are not happy at all to be in the helicopter. Uh, you know, So it, it was an interesting doorway into that. And it just kind of lent itself. Um, I think. I think early on it was a draw toward more sophisticated, more sophisticated uh, mission profile, along with a more sophisticated aircraft. Um, you don't need, um, per se, a, a top top of the line, fully loaded instrument package to fly folks around New York City. Um, so I think some of that was the lure that brought me out. And EMS is probably the most prevalent. Um, type of industry or career uh, industry for helicopter guys in the country, if not the world. I mean, any major city in the U.S. has an EMS program uh, that probably involves a helicopter. So it just kind of uh, walked right into me. You know, I ended up flying the same type of helicopter that these folks were using. And uh, and that was it. To my, you know, to my uh, surprise, I, I'm really satisfied personally and professionally with the EMS work and what's involved with it. It's incredibly rewarding, I could imagine, just the fact that you're you're going somewhere in an area where somebody is not going to be able to be transported as quickly as in a helicopter, and you're getting them to a destination, a hospital, whatever, where their their lives are basically going to be saved and changed. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and I mean those it, it greatly differentiates. Uh, you can see rather the delineation between even in the region that you're in. Uh, I got to fly some EMS in New Mexico out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and some of the surrounding areas where an ambulance could literally take four to six hours uh, to get to somebody who may have, you know, fallen down the side of a hill or something small for you and me that could be life threatening in that type of environment where I'd have to fly for an hour. Uh, now back on the Northeast, um, thankfully, where I'm super happy to be, um, my flights are 13 minutes. Uh, and then you, you ask yourself coming from one environment to this one, well, how, how does that make sense? And talking to my crew who are so experienced in the area and have been doing helicopter EMS for 10 years, regular EMS for 20 years, you know, these guys have seen it all. And I asked them and they said, well, I got to tell you, in an ambulance, even with, uh, you know, lights going, lights and sirens blowing, it's going to take us 45 minutes to an hour to do that 13-minute flight. And there you see how it makes sense. You see how it can fit into a rural community out in the middle of the southwestern desert and a populated community as diverse as the one in the northeast. It, It just makes sense, even in an urban landscape. I like how you describe that because, uh, you know, I, I was speaking with somebody who had a mission where they went from hospital to hospital. And to me, that didn't make any sense. And uh, they said, well, you realize that if we drove that, that would be like an hour in traffic at 5 right. p.m. And we just right. did it in 10 minutes. Sure. I was like, wow. And that means a lot. Uh, it really does, yeah. At, at that point. And, and that's, that's what's phenomenal. I, and, and that's what's so exciting about this job is that, you know, it, it's incredible. You are like a time machine. And you're able to speed up that person uh, going to the, whatever destination they need to go to. And uh, But, you know, the other thing that I think you do, not just uh, air ambulance. Well, air ambulance encompasses many things, I guess I should say. Uh, mm. So, for instance, you don't do just picking up people with trauma, you actually can transport people that need, say, a transplant? Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. I, it, essentially, the, the case of the patient, if it becomes time critical medically, uh, then then we are an option for them. Uh, in some places, and I believe in New Jersey, and I wouldn't even profess to be an expert in New Jersey law or EMS law, but uh, I think there, there are certain legal stipulations where they're required to call us uh, for certain situations, not just trauma. Um, but yeah, I mean, even you get to see that even from a pilot perspective where my focus is on the helicopter, if some person were to be having a transplant or a heart attack, let's say a smaller, uh, hospital in a smaller community could probably stabilize the patient, stabilize them enough for transfer. 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're out of the woods. And something like an hour and a half drive or being stuck or blowing a flat tire on the side of the road, you know, taking another hour and a half, something like this happening could drastically impact their situation medically, whereas it's going to take me 13 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it. It's a, I can go as the crow flies 140 miles an hour over your traffic jam and uh, smile while I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a great description, and uh, you know the other thing too. I'm thinking is you know I've seen missions where I've done with oil rigs where I've flown a fixed wing to a location where they just jumped off my airplane and jumped onto a helicopter and they're on their way to the rig before I could get my engine started and leave. Sure. And I'm assuming that they do something similar in the air medical field. Uh, as far as in transporting, like from, yeah, if you air, from airplanes, right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, that it can definitely be the case. I myself have never, I've never gotten to experience a, an airplane to uh, helicopter transport, but I can see that totally uh, being a, a feasible situation. Yeah, I mean, that's yet another situation where don't worry about the ambulance getting onto the airport and again the traffic being a factor just just bring in the helicopter yeah um so i mean that's that's definitely a practical situation including uh, ifr situations as well for us yeah and that that's another thing too is that people you actually fly ifr or is it all vfr i am in an ifr program uh yes i'm still in my ninth month with them and my company uh does it by kind of a sequence to bring me into the ifr program which i'm actually slated for this month um, so yes, my, my program is IFR. I'm in an IFR rated ship. I'm an IFR rated pilot. Um, so once obviously all, uh, T's are crossed and I's dotted, yeah, I'll be able to, uh, basically the way they run it is you should be able to get to your scene VFR. Uh, so if I have to go to a hospital, let's say I need to be able to get there VFR, uh, for the transfer, but I can fly IFR from that hospital to the airport in question where they could then be transported as long as it's you know reasonable it gets it gets murky in there but believe it or not in the northeast you still save a large amount of time especially in weather situations regarding traffic and stuff so yeah we, we fly ifr interesting yeah because mm. most most helicopter flying you always hear about is is vfr but uh, obviously you go out in all kinds of weather which brings mm-hmm. brings me to a point and this this is the not so happy side of it. There, there's what you do is not a tour operator. You go out in better weather usually. You're not going to go out if the weather's bad. Uh, you're not going to go and <laughs> land in the same places you land now. Uh, you're landing in these these landing zones, these LZs, which they're not normally available for people to land in a helicopter. Uh, so. <laughs> That's right. Right. And there's the other, the co-pilot, right? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. She comes with me all the time. <laughs> that's cool. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, geez, you know, you're going out there. It's like, that could be dangerous, uh, landing in some of these places and, and also the weather. So, uh, I'm uh, it, it can be, yeah. The, uh, the weather, obviously, is going to play a factor. Um, but the way that companies reach out, the way that EMS programs in general reach out to ground units is they, they've already got a, a heads up. They receive training either from my company or uh, from the company that uh, if we're contracting through an ambulance company. In any case, these community of folks basically travel to each other and give what they call just LZ classes or presentations. So they're out there training folks on the ground, fire departments, police, and so on, how to kind of um, analyze, so to speak, or, or make a... Uh, just a decision or at least an initial decision based on some training on what this area looks like. So could they make a final decision as to absolutely this should be suitable for landing? No, but they know that if it's studded with light poles and trees and it's, uh, you know, 15 by 10, that might be an issue for the pilot. We should try to find another suitable landscape, weather included. They know that when it's awful weather out there, we may not be able to go and it becomes an issue and that's included in their um, their uh, evaluation of the possible LZ as well. Interesting. So now, uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, does does this ever? Do you ever think about this? I mean, there there are hazards involved in what you do. Do you, does that uh, is that something that plays into your decision or played into your decision when you were thinking about becoming an air ambulance pilot? 
Uh, you know, I think I think we're when you get your pilot training. Obviously, it's not about uh, pulling sticks and pushing buttons. It's about thinking like a pilot, uh, and I think that takes time to evolve. But initially, you know, I. I I know statistically speaking, I'm, I'm safer in an aircraft <laughs> than I am driving my car to the grocery store. <laughs> um, so I think, I think that upon those initial kind of forays into like studying the industry or taking a look and scanning some internet stuff, uh, it, it seemed to me that since aviation began, whether it's helicopter, fixed wing or not, that the ultimate difference is going to be the pilot. The ultimate difference is the person. And that made me feel confident because that meant that, to a large degree, my fate is in my hands. And that made me feel comfortable. That made me feel good about it. And that, that's true in anything in aviation. It's, it's primarily yeah. up to the pilot, the training, the, the operation. Uh, you know, and, that, and that's really important to know that. And uh, you know, people ask me that, are you ever scared? I was like, no, no, but, uh, but a lot of it comes from the training you know, that you do. Oh, yeah. Also, you, you have limitations. Uh, where in personal flying you don't quite have as, as many limitations, etc. Mm-hmm. But I think if someone's going to become an air ambulance pilot, uh, I think one of the things that they have to realize is the fact that they are going to be going at all different times, etc. But they have, um, you had talked about this as far as the actual hours that you work. So let's let's kind of go through that. You have a, a tour, we might call it, say seven days straight and then you're seven days off. Now, how do you have to, where do you have to be and how long is your day? All right. So the, the typical is that uh, they call it a, a seven-day hitch. So you're on hitch for seven days and you're off hitch for seven days. And during that seven-day on hitch, you're going to do a 12-hour shift. Um, so it can be anywhere from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., uh, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and then it could rotate. So you one week, you'll do your, let's say, your 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So that would be called a day, a day hitch. Then you take your week off, and when you come back for your week on, now you're going to be on the 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. So it does rotate. Um, so you're, you're at least for that week you're going to be consistently flying at night or consistently flying through the day. So eventually, you know, all things being what they are, you, you do get used to that schedule. The night shifts are obviously going to be where, you know, things you, you have to pay a little bit more. You need to be a little bit more alert and aware of the, the mistakes that uh, you can cause yourself to make. Um, but that's, that's typically how it runs. I'm a little more fortunate right now. I've got a, a program now where, um, during my week, it's only it's ten to ten, so it's a mid shift. There is no overnight, so that's even a little bit of a, a bonus that's out there as well. Some programs uh, they don't run twenty four hours. Is there any limitations on your time? Like, if you're at your eleven hour and thirty minute, and you get a call, is there a limitation on how long you can keep going? Well, yeah, obviously we're limited to the the standard uh, the stuff, the fourteen hour duty day, and your eight hours, which you'll never probably hit an EMS, but uh, the 14, you, you can't. Uh, you can mix and mingle into that. So we're allowed, we're scheduled for the 12. But if at 11 uh, and a half hours, I get a scene call, it, it's the same as if it were hour one. I'm out the door. Um, I'll, I'll respond to that call. I'm on shift. I even have a good amount of time behind my 12 hour. I've got that two additional hours and uh to to work that into it it has happened to me where yeah you know what you get the scene call you got to respond so you go to the scene call and it looks like it's going to be complicated things take a little bit of time and you may be on scene for a long time uh perhaps there's some issue here or there or maybe it's at the hospital in any case it runs over the way that that works is you're constantly in contact Uh, we have several forms of communication with folks uh, and your hitchmate who may be coming on for the PM shift or whatever the case may be. So it has been that we've switched uh, shifts. I've changed out with the PM, the night person, on scene before or at a hospital or at the airport. We've determined that I could finish the flight and I'm going to go to the airport to refuel us and you meet me there and we'll switch out there. Um, So that has happened uh, a time or two. 
but uh, and most of it's been workable. I've never felt myself as insane, trapped or anything. Uh, they, they've they've hammered out all the nails there. So now that you bring up another great point, where where are you? I mean, where where do you stay? For instance, where does a helicopter stay, and where do you stay during this twelve hours? Sure. So uh, typical, it, it can actually vary. Uh, the more experience I get in EMS, the more I, I realize that uh, they can they can change the way it goes about. There are several different types of programs. Some folks are actually stationed at a hospital. So the helicopter will sit on a pad, and they're in the hospital in a designated office. So if they're a 24-hour uh, program, they'll have bedrooms in there where folks can sleep. They'll have couches and TVs and usually a kitchenette, and the pilot has an office and a room with the TV and so on. Then you have a double-wide trailer set up at an airport where you've got your yourself and your paramedic and your flight nurse, and you guys are all kind of based at the airport with the helicopter right outside the, uh, the trailer there. Uh, the way it is now is, you know, I've got my helicopter at a, uh, we're actually at a ski, uh, I guess it's a resort, yeah, a ski mountain or a mountain that has skiing and stuff. So we stay in a ski patrol building. And my helicopter is actually uh, locked up and stuff across the street. So we jump in an ambulance from the ski patrol building, go across the street, and get in the helicopter. So it can vary, really, the, the setup on how it goes. But typically, it's going to be set up like a small apartment, the ability for crews to take what's actually, <laughs> you know, we joke about <laughs> it, but they can take safety naps and, uh, right. <laughs> you know, fatigue being a serious part of what we do. Um, so... They can rest and, and cook. and uh, th If you can think of a firehouse-type situation, that's usually how it's set up. Interesting. So, so you're, you're there. You're ready to go. Now, on the help us fixed-wing pilots understand this, we, we have two different kinds of reserve. We have reserve where we're at home. It might be a two- or three-hour call-out. Then we have what's called ready reserve, which is at the airport, and an immediate call-out would mean an hour. I have an hour to get there. What type of response time do you have? When I'm on hitch? Yeah. Oh, minutes. Uh, definitely minutes. We, we'd like to think, and, and I heard this somewhere, uh, I think I was reading a report um, for an EMS uh, consortium or, or some, some folks talking about helicopter EMS, and they, they quoted, um, of course I'm paraphrasing, but said that we should be task-oriented in helicopter EMS and not really worry about time-oriented. Um, so there's no running clock on the wall. Uh, there's no one's going to call you and say, oh, that was six minutes. We got to work on that. Uh, they look higher up folks kind of look at an overall response time report uh, that they deal with. Most of that stuff is kept out of the view of us because um, speed shouldn't be my necessary uh, a factor in my thought proce process. I want to act with urgency, but ahead of that is uh, making sure we do the safest thing possible. We're following our routines. We're doing our walk-arounds. Um, with all that being said, we could easily be um, to the helicopter and engines turning uh, within five to six minutes less. I mean, we could be off the ground in that long, to be honest. Wow, that's yeah. that's pretty incredible. I'm, uh, you know, just coming from a fixed wing world, there's nothing you can do in five minutes. <laughs> you know, you can't yeah. even do a walk around. But it's, like, it's like really, that's that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's it's get up and go. So you're everything's ready to go. Then you know, there's you're you're pretty much just have the air helicopter right there, ready to to depart. Um, I'm ready at, to go. And yeah, you check in the oil and all that stuff is that's all done for you already or you've done it and, and, and at the beginning of your shift etc um, absolutely yeah and you're it's fueled up and, and it's it's ready so it's a little bit different of a process you don't wait for things that you know it, it's it's an immediate thing which is kind of cool because you get the call and it's high adrenaline and you're out there which is kind of neat you know you get out there and you're on task you do it and uh, i'm assuming though that there you get to also another part of it i think might be a challenge you do get to see certain things uh, I'm assuming, as a helicopter pilot, just like the paramedics and all that, that aren't as, as say, pleasant as most of us are exposed to. There are some accident sites that I, I would have seen that aren't so nice to see. Uh, that is very true. And that that is uh, something to be emphasized um, because that that can seriously affect your ability to make decisions that you would otherwise make. And that's that's a decision I think folks should 
ask themselves before they um, they do uh, take the path of an, of an EMS pilot is that while all this commotion is going on, and, and it could be, we are talking about things that are unpleasant, uh, you are charged and responsible with not only the, the person that needs help, uh, their life, but the, the lives of your crews and who have families, uh, your yourself, your families, an asset uh, to the company, which in, in our case is, is typically upwards of, of a few million dollars, the more sophisticated you get, um, especially in IFR programs. So that is a factor. You're responsible f- for these things. Um, it for me, it's uh, you definitely do have to make that decision. You have to be aware that there's going to be some really cool and interesting things, uh, and then there's going to be some not so pleasant things. But that's that's going to be a part of your day. And and when it's all said and done, and you're and you're wiping your brow, and you're kind of uh, you know enjoying the the nice cool water after a, a really hectic call, and talking about it with your guys, the the tone goes off again, and you got to go. And that that has happened. Um, so those those things do you know they you have to be aware that you're going to be pressed to make some serious decisions um, in some not so comfortable environments sometimes. Sure. And so I, I'm looking at this saying, okay, tour helicopter pilot. I feel like I'm going to Disney every day. Uh, but <laughs> but what you do as an air ambulance pilot, you're not. And there's certain things that I would assume psychologically also. Uh, play into the job of being an air ambulance helicopter pilot because you have seen these things now how how do you have ways of dealing with that i'm assuming that this is because you're seeing a lot of trauma we're not going to go into detail obviously but but you how do you deal with seeing something and then going back to your normal life later um you know, and, and I, I'd like to borrow this from, from our servicemen and, and women and, and folks that have served in the, the armed forces. I myself never have, but it's always something that you hear that never made sense to me until until I did this job. And, and that is, you know, it, it's about the guy next to you, and it's about being able to focus on the job at hand. Um, so when, when decisions like that come up for myself... I try to uh, really delve into the task at hand, which for me is being the captain of my aircraft, and uh, and really kind of bearing down on that focus. You know, listening to my crew and uh, considering the fact that the person needs help, but uh, right now I'm in a role of support, and I'm supporting the crew, I'm supporting the patient, and myself and our lives, and it, it really goes into really just focusing on the aircraft uh, and focusing on being the most safe I can and uh, really double-checking those decisions and bearing in and really honing in on those decisions, focusing on the aircraft. That's how I do it. You know, I'm glad we talked about this. Of course, we like to talk about the challenges of every job, and uh, but I don't ever want to leave off on a, on, a, on a bad note, you know, on a down mm-hmm. note. And there's challenges in everything, no matter what you do. There's stresses, etc. But I'm sure there's some really cool things that you've number one been able to do and number two people you've you've helped i mean do you have an example of somebody you you helped that that really resonated in your past Uh, i do i you know a couple of uh, small examples is one of the things is we use night vision goggles uh so when i first started ems it was always looming in the back of your mind that that first night vision goggle three in the morning scene call is going to come it's going to come and you have to be ready for it. And you're, you know, I was a little nervous, you know, for a while uh, during those night shifts, I wouldn't even sleep. I, I would sit, you know, I'd sleep during the day. And then on the shift, I would sit at the computer and, and kind of be alert and ready to go. And one of the coolest ones is I think it was one of the first ones, maybe not the first one, but it came out as three in the morning. Good weather uh, could have been better, but it was it was great. You know, definitely flyable weather, so that was a little easy to decide and I didn't have to contend with. As I'm approaching this scene and, and kind of nervous, I see these flashing lights in the middle of the desert out there, in the middle of this blackness. And I mean, as you approach it, it's it's one of the few highways that stretch through the desert, so there's traffic backed up for miles. As I'm getting closer, there's fire. Uh, there's fire trucks, there's hordes of people and, um, 
service folks outside of and first responders outside of their vehicles. I land on the highway and I raise my goggles and there's this fire and the crew gets out and, and folks watching and, and here they come and they do what they do and they get the patient in the back of the helicopter and it's just this incredible scene in the middle of the night where you were just sleeping an hour ago and just this incredible commotion and they close the doors button it up we tell the the police and and firemen we're lifting you know uh, that the helicopter's ready to go and we're lifting and within minutes it's just complete silence of the sky flying back toward the hospital and it was just like wow <laughs> like what a feeling of, of just going into this chaos and almost being the this hero that flies away you know this feeling like and now i just leave this chaos you know we're what they were waiting for and it, that was a fantastic feeling but um i think a really rewarding is is most of the time when you when we take a, a small child and i think any of us would agree anybody involved with any kind of first response it's it's when we will take a parent with us as a ride along and just seeing like th how thankful they are that we do what we do and there's been times where they're so scared and they're they're so frightened and they know that their their child's in the back of the helicopter and possibly you know their life is is at risk and they're just so thankful to see what we do and how in control of it we are and how calm we are with them and uh, and how appreciative they are towards us. It really puts some perspective that, you know, we're doing some some good here. We're we're helping somebody in some small way and I think I think everybody wants to do that. So I'm no different. That feels great. Yeah, you become like Superman. You know, you in, get to... in a way, maybe in a, maybe in a little dark corner of my mind, I would admit that, but never to you on this podcast. <laughs> well, that was the first thing I was thinking. I was like, "Wow, this is like you know, I got chills when I was listening to this. This is this is better than than any movie you could you could imagine. I mean, it's uh, it, I would I would imagine it at first. It feels sur surreal, like it really isn't happening. And it did, yeah. Like you were it describing, did. I was like, God, I can, can't really imagine that, and that happens. Every so often you're out there and, and you, you know, often you're out there when things are going really bad and boom, you're out and, uh, and then it's calm and, uh, it's like jumping off the high dive and you're in the water and that was exciting. And now you're floating on top of the water two seconds later in a, a big inner tube with a co yeah. Coke in your hand, you know, it's, Absolutely. it's like yeah. two, two totally different environments, but within seconds of each other, which is phenomenal. What so a, fast. Yeah. That that's, that's, I think is really cool. I, th I would, I would assume about the job. I think that, that sounds really awesome to me. It um, is. Yeah. Definitely lasting too. It, it doesn't go away. It's still there. Still feels the same. Now you got me sold, and I'm sure there's people listening right now that, that are sold on this and, and want to do this. But but I want to get from where I am now. You know, I my helicopter time is about five hours, and uh, <laughs> okay. you know, so so I want to go from here from five hours, and and I want to I want to get to where you are. Or um, you know, what's really appealing to me, and I used to do fixed wing, is is air tours. I absolutely mm -hmm. love doing air tours, and then I see these guys over here. Uh, near me at my airport, Albert Witted in St. Petersburg, doing air tours mm. and helicopters. That is way cool. I said, you know what? I want to try that. Now, how would I get from from here to the air tour to doing what you do? Oh, well, the, the air tours is, is uh, going to be a little bit closer than you think. So, I mean, obviously, you've got to go commercial. And for a civilian guy, uh, I would say immediately get that commercial. Do not skip the instrument. That's absolutely necessary. It's almost becoming a, uh, a just a, a, an absolute requirement for any job now is to have that instrument rating. Um, then uh, what's going to happen after that is instruction. You're going to have to go towards instruction most likely as a civilian. does not have to be that way. A lot of folks, um, they grab that commercial ticket. They move into things like uh, they could do small photo flights uh, where the, the, the folks use a popular helicopter, a Robinson helicopter. They use these in some small capacity for commercial work. So these guys jump in there and start racking time doing photo flights. Um, and I know a big one out there with boat races. They do all kinds of these things. Photographers, even some filming. I mean, a lot of this stuff falls under Part 91, so it's not uh, crazy work. Most of the time, it's going to be instruction. You instruct, you're reemphasizing those fundamentals that you just learned. And this is the way I personally uh, would advocate that everyone should be an instructor for a period of time. 
uh, when you get out of flight school, you're ready to learn. You know, you're ready to reinforce those fundamentals you just finished learning. So uh, there, you got to get to about the thousand hour mark. That's around the uh, the hallmark. Still, it's a thousand to fifteen hundred hours. From there, the the eternal search is the turbine, the turbine transition. Um, once you hit the thousand to fifteen hundred hour mark, the tour market opens up to you. The tour market knows um, that, let's say, higher time guys or uh, guys with uh, all kinds of instrument time and rating and multi-engine time, they're not necessarily as inclined, unless it's really just for fun, to go uh, zip around in a circle. You know, they're, they're on to more sophisticated machines. Uh, obviously, the salaries go with that. So the tour industry kind of presents itself to you once you hit that 15, 12 to 1500 hour mark. Um, from there, they'll typically give you that tour transit or uh, turbine transition, and then from that point, once you hit between uh, I'd say 800, 1,000, maybe 1,200 turbine hours. So now we're looking at a total of 22, 23, maybe 2,500 total time hours. Um, you're ready to move into EMS, but it literally is, you know, from from uh, instruction to tour operator, so you, you may literally be going from a piston two-seat heli uh, helicopter to a six-seat turbine, you know, turbine-powered helicopter, and from there, it, it just kind of all falls down. I'd say you're really looking for the 1,200-hour mark initially, then on to your uh, 22, 2,500-hour mark before you can start really looking into uh, EMS. But once you do from there, it's... Uh, it's on your EMS experience kind of takes over from the helicopter experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes plenty of sense. Cause I mean, right. it's amazing what you guys do too, but yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're getting a, a lot of experience in a small amount of time, lots yeah. of takeoffs, landings, et cetera. And in, in some really challenging environments. So the, the one let's, let's go back here though. Cause this, I think the, the tour operator might be appealing to some people. Uh, you're, we're talking about trying to get to the goal of air ambulance. Do you know anybody that actually is doing that for a living? What's that tours? Tours. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, I did for a while. And, uh, you know, I've got a family myself. And uh, there, there are some operators out there that are just top-notch. Um, they do it right. They, I mean, safety is not an issue. Of course, you always have your, your other end of that. But uh, there are some guys out there, uh, and I spoke to some folks. In some, first of all, when you go with tours, you're always going to live in a cool place. <laughs> you are always going to live in a cool place. Hawaii, Las Vegas, New York City. Uh, I mean, I spoke to these guys, and, and they have, uh, when I was looking for jobs out there, and, and he assured me, I've got guys that have been with me for 18 years, for 25 years. I mean, there, there are guys that, that easily make a career out of this and do really well, do really well. So on the tours, is it like, uh, I know in aircraft tours, I sometimes I would get tips, some pretty good tips too, mm -hmm. from certain people. And they'd be like, hey, I want to go see this land that I purchased. And, uh, you know, just give me a tour of the city that I'm moving to, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. afterwards, if you were very personable, they sometimes would, would reward you for that. Oh, I, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I was fortunate. I, I got to do it uh, here in New York City and in Las Vegas flying through the Grand Canyon, which is cool. amazing. Yeah, it was incredible by helicopter especially. But yeah, those folks, um, I, I mean, you do, you do fan – your salary, first of all, some of these companies do pretty good. They do pretty good for what you'd imagine. And then your tips on top of it, I mean – Let's face it, you're not exactly getting a cup of soup at a diner here. The, the folks that are, are going to be using your service as a tour uh, are inclined to tip uh, according, accordingly, I guess, right. commensurate. Sure. Um, <laughs> so you're not seeing you know, a couple of bucks. A lot of times, I mean, 50s and 100s are not out of the question. Right, right. So and let's go back to numbers, though. Uh, it's sure. you can make a living starting out uh, from your experience and what other people's experiences are. Do you know about what you would start off as, say, a tour operator? Tour operator? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're going to be looking anywhere between you know forty and sixty uh, as you become uh, that's thousand a year, and as you become more experienced. 
there are guys out there that are easily doing uh, in the 70s, even in the 80s, just as pilots. Now, that's before their tips. Right. So, like I said, you you know, it's it's out there. So <laughs> it's and, definitely out there. And that's really good. I mean, if you're comparing this to a career with the airlines, that's that's really good. You know, especially right. in those years that you're you're doing it. Um, but now now let's look at doing air ambulance. I've kind of looked at the numbers and uh, they're pretty darn high uh, at an air ambulance operator. So uh, I've I, it's 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 more than that number there that you gave me as far as starting salaries and then and higher. What is your experience? So I don't put words in your mouth. What, what's your experience been with the numbers? Uh, exactly that. And, and, you know, this, this one hits close to my heart, um, because I see, you know, I belong to some Facebook forums and stuff and I see a lot of younger time guys, a lot of younger pilots coming into the industry with these horrible misconceptions. Um, you know, just like the guy that I called when I first started my flight school, looking into it, this, this guy tells me you got to have a part-time job. Um, they do real well. Uh, you can do anywhere it depends. It's going to depend. Um, obviously, the more sophisticated the program, and by that I mean, are you flying a multi-engine uh, aircraft? Right now, I'm flying an EC-135, which is a multi-engine IFR-rated aircraft in an IFR program. Those go into six figures. Hmm. Uh, so when you when you're starting out, it could uh, you know seventy or so, eighty, and then you could move well past uh, six figures. I mean, I'm I'm not even thirty-five years old yet. Right. I've got a long way to go, and with those kind of numbers, with the right company, uh, you know, I'm I'm just ecstatic about the potential in the future. Yeah, and and we have some examples of uh, different helicopter companies uh, that we've put uh, Air Logistics, uh, PHI. Uh, there's PHI uh, Air Medical. There's PHI. Uh, where they go out to the oil rigs and all, and we right. have some of their numbers out there, and mm-hmm. and they do run really high, uh, and and you're making, uh, compared to a small airline, you know you're definitely making more, and even doing fairly well compared to some major airline pilots, and and you're home, and it's a it's a blast, it's a lot of fun, so you, you've got all those things going for you. Um, that's that's the truth. Yeah, I and, can't complain about it. <laughs> no. Yeah, and and but you know I I think. A lot of times, like you said, there's these forums out there, and and in our show, we always caution people that don't just listen to the forums. Go talk to people, and talk to people that like their job. I mean, you like your job, and there's many people that like their job. There's a lot of times there's people out there that are the naysayers, and uh, they're usually the loudest, but they also can be the smallest group, but they're out there, and they're the loudest. Uh, that's why I always caution people to look at those forums and all, and there's, there's lots of information out there, but... The, there is so many. There's so many really cool jobs in aviation, but in helicopters, and there's there are jobs out there. I mean, we we've spoken with other people, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll link to some of the other episodes. But there are there's this is definitely a good career, and I don't see it getting smaller. For for instance, air ambulance. I'm going to just talk towards that. In my opinion, I think it's a great thing to get into because we're not the, the population is not shrinking. It's getting bigger, and and. It, with that, we need more doctors, lawyers, obviously more doctors and, and, and more nurses, and ambulance services. So I think it's going to grow. Uh, I don't know what your opinion is of that and what you feel. Uh, it's it's uh, actually along the same lines. And, you know, if I could go back just a little bit, I remember, you know, talking about what you're talking about. It, it is such a, a great one, a great career path. And there are some some folks out there that you're, you're right. You know, if they don't enjoy their job, not the people to talk to. Uh, if I could just briefly, uh, one of the things that always stuck in my mind is when I was an instructor and I had my senior student, we got invited to a community college uh, that was considering opening um, an uh, aviation program. So they had uh, us uh, helicopter guys. Let's fly up one of the trainers, and since we're instructors and he's student, we're going to talk directly to the student. So I thought this was, like, fantastic. This is wonderful. We could gain some more students. We could even be a part of the program. We land, big crowd of students. Here comes a, uh, a police helicopter, lands next to me, and the, and the guy gets out. So naturally, he's going to talk first about law enforcement, and then I'm going to tell him how to get there, right? Come, come take some flight lessons. This guy proceeds to absolutely dog our industry. Huh. And, and, and I just couldn't believe it. And I looked at my student, and even though I was still young in the industry, 
I just looked at him and I, and I looked at my student and I go, that's not true. That's not true. It does not have to be this way. You know, there are so many great jobs out there and helicopters are practical machines, you know, like they're, they're very usable machines in, in our society today. And, and I remember looking at my student going, don't listen to this person. And, and I've always had that feeling and, and I still have that feeling. As far as the future is concerned, I don't see it going away either. You know, EMS was looked at as, as one of the more dangerous jobs you could have. I, I even fly today with some guys who have been flying helicopter EMS that they did it in the service uh, medevac. And then they've been doing it in the civilian world for 10 years and 12 years and so on. They remember doing EMS with no NVGs, no night vision goggles. Wow. And, and doing it at night. And, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a kid of, of technology and uh, I, I'm a, a pilot of technology. And this NVG, I, I could not imagine doing this job without it. So the safety numbers have just gone off the charts. Like the EMS used to be considered a highly dangerous helicopter job with all these, uh, the popularity growing with helicopter EMS in, in cities and urban areas, whatever, uh, the development of the programs with things like NVG programs, now they have things like synthetic vision uh, going into uh, helicopters for EMS and uh, just all these fantastic pieces of technology that we use, they're causing those numbers to drop off, which are making everybody smile. Hospital programs, municipalities, cities are going, this could work for us. And with helicopters steady developing technology to dampen some of the noise as well, it won't be as intrusive. Uh, so communities are even nodding their head toward that. And with these numbers dropping off, the effectivity and uh, you know the efficacy of the program itself it is right there in black and white. I think it's got a brilliant future. And with the more technology, the safer it becomes, the smarter it becomes. It, with things like four flight now and you know i mean it's incredible it's incredible watching this happen and being a part of it i, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon we're experiencing shortages now <laughs> too so interesting that was actually uh one of my next questions uh what what's happening now and in, in the different areas i'm assuming like air ambulance there's not as much of a shortage as in the tours because that's where most people want to go uh, but uh, tell us a little bit, you know, give us a little idea what the landscape looks like there. Um, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, it, it's, I've got, you know, five or six friends that are doing it. They're all looking for guys to come to their program. Uh, when I look on my company's internal website, I, I see positions all over the world um, for EMS. And I mean all over the world in EMS, you know, so it doesn't have to just be in the state. I just see openings uh, everywhere. Uh, the only guys that tend to be leaving this industry tend to be the guys, uh, Vietnam-era pilots, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with that. The, these guys, are uh, they're wrapping things up for themselves, and they've done great. They've, they've had their fill, and uh, they're coming off year by year, more by more, or uh, little by little, rather, and they're, they're kind of looking to, to fill those gaps. You know, there, there was some progress i think with the gi bill or something but that has since stopped so I, i'm not sure if it's going to create a huge gap or not but i've got no shortage of work over and over time if, if you know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I, I speak with people throughout the country and and they've said the same thing to me uh is that there is you know you, there's a lot of work out there we just need to find people that want to do it part of i think one of the issues i think we're having on the fixed wing side and also on the the rotorcraft side is that i don't think it's sold very well to people we were just touching on that where there's a lot of people that are negative oh you don't want to do that there's no money in it uh, you know, I, I hear, but but I hear from the old guys. I hang out with a, like three different Vietnam helicopter pilots, and they don't want it to end. They they wish they could do it forever, 
But remember, those those guys are getting old, and right. uh, which is unfortunate because those were my flight instructors, and and they're they're having to leave this industry. But it tells you something. If people, it's the people that are in the naysayers, and a lot of times aren't in the industry or have left the industry. So if you listen to the people that are doing it, even when they complain, I know not every day is great. I'm sure <laughs> with your job, not every day is great. Sure. But but ninety percent of the time you're enjoying it, and and that's the what you have to look at. You can't look at the ten percent. Uh, but the a lot of naysayers they focus on. On that ten percent, and not the other part that is wonderful, and I think that's something that you do. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely I try to stay to stay positive about it as much as I can. Uh, you know, in those forums we were talking about earlier, you know, I, I pulled the one guy out asking the question and, and uh, shot him a private message and was like, "Hey, li- listen, let me let me break this down for you because what it what it really comes down to for me is uh, one of the biggest challenges." For, for anybody, and it's not it, it's a big com- uh, topic in the media now. It's a big conversation that folks are having about the cost of education. Uh, but you know, I, I look to them and say, you know, the the education of a skill is something that can never be taken away from you. It, you're you may have to put up this initial investment and this initial sacrifice like anything else, but it can never be. Replaced, it can never be taken away. This this knowledge and the skill that you'll have will put you in an extremely unique and close knit group of people. Uh, so I, I really do try to sell them on the idea that you know this isn't something to be taken lightly. You know it's it's a big deal and it's going to require some serious commitment. But uh, yeah, like I try to tell them, like you know, if you're going to be a surgeon, it would require this. <laughs> You know, a similar amount of commitment financially and otherwise. Uh, so, you know, I, I just try to keep them on the fact that, yeah, it's it's going to pay off in spades, you know. It just takes a while, and that's that's with anything in aviation and many other careers. I think being you're in the medical yeah. field, surgeons, you know, nurses, you don't become a nurse overnight. Right. Uh, there's there's a lot of different fields like that. It's just, um, I, I, but it's worth it. It really is. You have to look at it in the long run. You can't just look at it tomorrow. There's so many people that give up because they're not making money right away. Uh, you have to definitely look a couple years down the road. But once you make it to that level, there's so many openings for you. And uh, it's like it's like those gates you were talking about. All of a sudden, you have a certain number of hours. Now the world opens up to the tour operators. Then you go through, get more hours, and the world opens up to air ambulance, et cetera. And that's something that you, you really can look forward to and i think that's really cool that you described it that way um yeah. you know but in we're, we're talking let's go back to the numbers as far as as sure. becoming somebody uh, that's a pilot and getting your training you're talking in you know tens of thousands of dollars up to sixty five thousand dollars or more to get all your ratings etc um did you use any type of loans or i think you said you had everything together before you went did you use scholarships at all uh, no scholarships. I'm, I'm one of those guys. And by the way, you know, we're sitting here talking like, uh, flight school was the old days and I'm this old ringer. I've been flying helicopters, uh, for 10 years. This is uh, 10 years and, and, and I'm where I am. So, I mean, it's not a, and that's including flight school and everything. Right. Um, I, I took all, <laughs> all financial, uh, aid. It, it was all through, private loans and other student loans is there are, are schools out there and I really I'm really a big advocate for this Utah Valley University was one uh, that I went to that what they do is they'll join uh, a four-year bachelor's degree with your flight training so now you're not just some guy that's you know thinks helicopters are cool and you're going to get a license you are definitely going to be a career pilot. Uh, you have a college education. I, I did a, a bachelor's in uh, aviation administration. So you, you end up doing this now. Now you're a full-time student. That opens up federal aid for you as well. So you're getting student, uh, student loans and so on privately, which took care of a large part for me. And then I did get some uh, government help with uh, other loan programs and stuff through the government, student financial aid. And that went towards also your helicopter training, not just that, a, absolutely right. did. And that was the intention of the the program itself. It was called a global aviation program. Now I know the University of North Dakota has one of these programs. I think Purdue is now offering helicopters as well. 
So, I mean, these universities, including helicopters in their aviation curriculums, are really, you know, it's like, hey, if you're going to be a dentist, you got to go to college. And nowadays, more than likely, you're going to be borrowing something. And uh, or you you can be a helicopter pilot or a professional college educated pilot, which I'm a huge advocate for as well, and uh, borrow money that way too. It's the it's the same. It's the same. And I, it's important to get get that education. And I think it's important that you mention that uh, Utah Valley University. Uh, I think it's a great program. You know, full disclosure, I I used to be the administrator at the school I was. It was called all Utah right. Valley State back then. Now all it's right. Utah Valley University. And what a neat program! I, mean, I think they're all good. You know, UND, yeah. like you said, and and Purdue. We're going to have some links, by the way, in this the show notes for this. But they have they have some wonderful programs out there, and obviously. We have gone forward with our scholarships guide, aerospacescholarships.com. You can click on scholarships from Aviation Careers Podcast. We're putting in a lot more helicopter scholarships from the Whirly Birds to the Helicopter Association International to, to a couple of other private individuals that are wanting to give scholarships to people that are looking towards getting into helicopters as both a career and also as a hobby, amazingly enough. So there's stuff out there. there there's money out there. There's loans, like you said. So, so that's a hurdle, just like any other challenge in life. That's a hurdle sure. you can get over, but you have to do a little bit of work because it didn't just happen overnight for you. You actually had to apply for those things. I did, yeah. I mean, you know, like anything else, just uh, tons of the paperwork, and, and it's, it's, that's where it comes down to the commitment. You know, it's, it's not uh, something you're going to do nine to five. You know, this is going to be what you do, you know, and uh, it's going to be a big deal if you're going to make it a profession for yourself. But once you get into that pipeline, uh, it, it seemed to be so much easier. And once you start that flight school and those things are, are taken care of, and I think that may have been some of the best advice I got from my friend when she did say, try to have that in order or as close to it as you can before you get started. And that really once you get all that squared away and you know the path that you're going to be going on, um, you can you can focus on what needs to be focused on. You know. So getting getting your money in order is one of the things you would you would advise people moving forward in a career as a helicopter pilot. Before we close, is there is there anything else, any other advice you could give to somebody listening right now who's saying I want to become a helicopter pilot? I think you should. Um, I've enjoyed it tremendously. It's everything that I've put into it. I've already gotten back uh, at least three times. I think it's it's only something that's growing. And uh, the more young folks we have that are excited and positively motivated about it, the better, the safer, and the smarter the industry is going to be. Well, Sal, this has been awesome having you on. I mean, I think you're a great advocate for, for the industry and an ambassador for helicopter pilots everywhere. We'd love to also maybe have you on again if uh, if we get some questions. And also, of course, people send us questions at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you don't mind, can I forward some of those to you and, and, and you can help us answer them? Absolutely can. That's something that I'm interesting uh, interested in doing as my career develops is becoming a bit more of a mentor out there for young folks. Any questions, um, I can give you my email address. Please put it out there. Uh, they can contact me. I'd love to work with you guys again. Absolutely, anytime. Awesome, Sal. We're definitely going to have you back on again. We uh, we love helicopter pilots. It's it's a passion of mine. It's something that I've always wanted to do. Uh, and uh, and I tell you, every time I talk to somebody who flies helicopters, it, it gets me one step closer closer to doing it. And you know what? I hope if you're listening right now, it's doing the same thing for you. You know, not not only as a career. We talked about careers as an air ambulance helicopter pilot today. But as a hobby, it's a cool, cool hobby. I have friends that, that are out there flying. Uh, we have a little island out here. They hop in, in their helicopter, go fly out to the island, bring a lunch with them, and then they fly back. You can't oh, yeah. really do that in an airplane unless you have a full plane. <laughs> <laughs> so That's right. It's, it's a lot different, and there's, there's, some, um, there's so much fun you can have with a helicopter uh, that you can't have with an airplane. And there's so many things you can see. And, and not only that, think about this. You, you don't have to circle. You can stop. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's yeah. that's really really cool. You can stop right there for you, and and you know that you know no matter how far you get into it, I'm I'm a helicopter nerd uh, too. You know, and I live in New York City, and and it's a very trendy place, and all these folks uh, they have um, very strange careers or whatever. And I tell you what, no matter what group of people I'm in, 
whenever it's it's my turn and somebody goes, so what do you do? I still get a little light inside and, and excited to go, I fly helicopters for a job. And their <laughs> their face is just absolutely priceless uh, every time. No matter what group of, uh, of people you're in, they're just like, well, I've always wanted to do that. Somewhere in every person's mind or certainly every uh, boy's mind is – is what would that be like for a job? And that everybody has so much fun. It's it's a great thing to do. It's nothing but positive. Well, Sal, I hope we'll have you on here again. I, I think you've given us a lot of information here, and we're going to generate quite a few questions. Uh, if you're listening right now, please write to us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Go to the website, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 96. We talked a lot, a lot of things here. We have a lot of links. Uh, we have the scholarship of the week, which is a helicopter-related scholarship. Make sure you go there and check that one out, and there's a link to it in the show notes. The show notes are really important here, So and, we, and you can hit the play button, by the way. Way. You don't have to use iTunes just to download this. You can go right on our website and hit the play button. We're gonna have we're gonna have Sal back on again in the future. I hope you've learned something. And like I always tell you out there, do something now today to move forward in your career. If you're thinking about helicopters, start researching some of the things we've told you about. I challenge you to get on our website and click on some of those links that we're gonna put in the show notes. We really do appreciate your talking to us today, Sal. We hope to have you on another episode and fly safe. And for those of you out there. They're listening right now. Do that today. Do something right now to move forward in your career, and we'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.